And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like My First Million. My First Million is hosted by Sam Parr and Sean Purry. They feature famous guests. They discuss how companies made their first million and then some. They brainstorm new business ideas based on the hottest trends and opportunities in the marketplace. Here are some of the topics they talk about. If you like any of these, you will love the show. Three profitable business ideas that you should start in 2022. Drunk business ideas that could make you millions. Asking the founder of Grammarly how he built a $13 billion company or SaaS companies that anybody can start. If these topics are up your alley, go check out My First Million. Listen to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Today, my guest is Dre Baldwin. Dre is a former nine-year pro basketball player who traveled eight countries in his career after walking on at an NCAA Division III school. He is now a full-time entrepreneur who has authored 29 books and performed four TED Talks on discipline, confidence, mental toughness, and personal initiative. Dre has over 137,000 subscribers on YouTube, and his daily Work On Your Game podcast has been downloaded over 3 million times. So we spoke about personal initiative. We spoke about entrepreneurship. We spoke about confidence, mental toughness, and fortitude. Lessons that he's learned from a life as a professional basketball player that he's applied to building businesses. So let's jump right into it. This is Dre Baldwin, author, speaker, writer, entrepreneur, and former professional athlete. All right, so uh, give you a three to five minute version, Scott. I come from the city of Philadelphia, now live in Miami, Florida. Always played sports growing up, so all the normal backyard or where I'm from, driveway sports, kickball. Somebody had a you know, basketball court, a portable court in the backyard, touch football, all of that. The first organized sport that I tried was football. Uh, couldn't My family couldn't afford football equipment, so I never really got around to the, the serious part of football. Then played some baseball for a few years, and you know, all my neighborhood friends played on the baseball teams. We just all played sports, but I didn't really have a lot of talent for baseball. I knew my ceiling was mediocrity. So I moved on from baseball to basketball. That was around age 14. So if you're just starting a sport at age 14, you're probably not going to go far in that sport. Or if you're trying to go somewhere, let's talk about you no know, college, let alone play pro. So me playing basketball starting at age 14 to try to go anywhere, ambitious was kind of far-fetched. And even in my high school years, trying out for the basketball teams, that it was a re- my reality was a reflection of that. I didn't make my high school team until I was a senior. I sat the bench the one year that I was on the team. I scored two points per game. Now, anybody who knows basketball knows two points, not a lot. 
Now, maybe if you're playing, I always tell people, you're playing soccer or hockey, two points, you're a superstar. But in basketball, you're not even playing. So finishing high school, I knew I wanted to go to college because I just wanted to get the experience. I wanted to get out of my, my city, my neighborhood where I'm from. And college was a good excuse to get away and go see another part of the life, another part of the world. But I also wanted to play sports. But I did not have any type of – I didn't have any offers. I didn't have any uh, sports scholarships. No sports coaches were checking for me or anything like that. So wherever I was going to go to school, I was going to have to walk on. And for those who don't know what that means, it means you literally walk in, nobody, you didn't have an appointment. It's kind of like making a sales call with no appointment. That's nobody basically what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was, I was basically cold calling my way into college basketball. And the, the challenge, though, with college is that you have to actually enroll in a school. It's not like you could pick any school. You have to enroll, then try to make the basketball team. So that's what I did. I went to a school that is now a, a Division three level, played college basketball. Didn't set the world on fire, but I did play. But I'm, again, I'm playing at the Division three level. Again, for those who don't know sports, D3 is the third tier. So when you watch college football, the championships and all of that, March Madness, that's Division one. Then there's Division two. We were down there in the basement at Division three. So Division three athletes usually are not the ones even dreaming about making a pro, let alone actually doing it. But when I got out of college, I still had this idea, this irrational idea that I was going to become a pro athlete. But I, again, I had no prospects. So when I got out of school, there's not like it's not like it was a bunch of basketball agents, you no know, beating down my door. You no, know, my family didn't have to change their number. We weren't getting too many phone calls from agents about representing Dre Baldwin to play pro ball. I wasn't having scouts come to my games or anything like that. So my first year out of school, I had while I had this idea, again, I had no solid prospects. So my first year after I graduated, and this is in I graduated May of 2004 to give everybody a timeline. I worked at Foot Locker. That was my first job. The first job I got was Foot Locker. I was an assistant manager, and I worked at a gym called Bally Total Fitness, selling memberships. And then a year removed, the summer of 2005, I saved up my money, and I went to this event called an exposure camp. Now, many people don't know about those. Now, exposure camp is like a job fair, but it's for athletes. But instead of a bunch of athletes showing up with resumes and wearing suits and telling people what we can do, we actually bring our sneakers and our gear and we play our sport in front of everybody. So people who are familiar with the NFL Combine, it's a similar idea. The difference with the NFL Combine is that you know, everyone still has the possibility to get drafted, whereas at an exposure camp, you got a bunch of nobody guys. The Combine, you probably heard of a lot of those players if you follow college sports. But in a uh, basketball exposure camp, you, anybody can basically show up. They'll take anybody's money. They all act like they have a selective process, but if you'll pay, they'll take your money. So I saved up my $250. That's all it costs. And I had to pay at the door because I didn't even have a I didn't have a credit card or a bank account at the time. So I get there, pay my two fifty at the door, and it's a two day event, Saturday and Sunday. You got two days, about two hundred basketball players there, and we're all trying to prove that we are good enough to play pro. And at that two day event, I did pretty well. I got a nice scouting report, got my footage from that, leveraged that to get myself a basketball agent. And I'm I'm skipping over some parts of this and not make it too long. But I got myself a basketball agent. And that agent helped me get my career started. So my first job was in Kaunas, Lithuania in 2005 at the age of 23 years old. Now, at the same time, I took the footage from that exposure camp. It was on this device called a VHS tape. Scott, you remember VHS? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. And that's yeah. you're, you're dating yourself, man. It's, it's a yeah, throwback. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Showing my age. So, yes, uh, that VHS tape, 
I knew that, you know, anybody who remembers VHS and those of you listening who don't know what that is, know Google it or ask your parents, they'll tell you. So <laughs> with the VHS tape, I knew if you drop it, it gets wet, you leave it in the sun, that footage is destroyed. So I'm like, man, I got to safe keep this footage forever because this footage is like my golden ticket into playing pro because that's what I needed. The reason I didn't get, I didn't have any scouts looking at me when I got out of college because I didn't have good game footage of me playing against pro level players. Because again, I was playing against division three players and most of those guys are not pro level, but that exposure camp, those are better players and I played well against them. So I needed that footage. So I got that footage. I took it to an audio visual store. They put it on a data CD and I took that data CD and I put it in my parents' desktop computer and I uploaded it to this new website I just heard of Scott. And on this website, they said, you can put up as much footage as you want completely for free. And it's called youtube.com. This is 2005. So this is how I started a, a parallel career. Didn't even know this was going to be a career because in 2005, nobody was talking about this. We weren't using phrases like content, personal branding, social media. Those phrases did not exist in 2005. So I just put the footage up there just for me. It was just for me because who's on the Internet looking up Dre Baldwin? Nobody. So a couple of years later, no, not even years, but months later, I went just to check on the footage and I saw there was comments on the video. And there were people asking like, hey, who do you who taught you how to play? How often do you practice? You know, where did you go to school? Because they could see that I could play. They didn't know who I was. but They see like this guy looks like he knows what he's doing. And. I realized very quickly, Scott, that this was an underserved community, that basically the people watching my videos were, they were me, but 10 years younger. They were the players who wanted to play ball, but they didn't have anybody to teach them. The advantage that they had over my generation, our generation, is that they could go to the internet and get information. Whereas in my generation, if nobody was there to teach you, you had to figure it out on your own, or you just didn't. So once I saw that they just wanted me to make more videos, I just kept making them. And I did it sporadically at first, but it was around, around 2009, 2010. I found myself out of a job in basketball, and I started making the videos more consistently because now Google had purchased YouTube. They said, well, we'll give you some ad revenue. We'll share the ad revenue with you if you make videos and they're popular. And again, this sounds like common sense now, but this was not common sense in 2009. So, and they're like, what? You make money just by putting videos on the internet? Again, back then, if you were doing that, you were a bum living in your parents' basement who needed to get a real job, right? You remember those days. So, that, that yeah. You're, you're early, you're early YouTube, man. You're early yeah, YouTube. Exactly. That's impressive. Yeah. Right. Blogging as well. So, around that time, that's when I really started focusing more on the internet thing. And the funny thing is, you know, all the work you do to become a pro athlete, but most of the people who recognize me if I'm out in the street or at the mall, they recognize me from YouTube. Nobody recognizes me from overseas basketball because who, who in America watches overseas basketball? Hardly anybody. So that's the, it's the ironic thing about the whole situation. And just to tie this whole thing together, I'll fast forward the next 10 years. Uh, players started asking me questions about mindset because they, realized, they heard about my background of how I barely made it in high school and how I had to hustle my way into the pros, walk on in college. So they would ask me about, you know, why'd you keep doing it? Why'd you keep trying? Why'd you keep practicing? How'd you keep the vision alive in your mind? And that's when I started talking about the mental tools that I'm sure we'll get to here, Scott, that became the foundation of my philosophy now that's called work on your game. And when I started talking about those things, people who didn't even play sports started finding my videos and my articles and things like that. And they would tell me, look, Dre, I don't play sports, but the way you talk about mindset, anybody can use that. That's valuable to anybody. So that planted a seed in my mind. When I'm done playing ball, I can take this piece, the mindset stuff, and I can teach this to anyone. I don't have to limit myself just to athletes. So when I stopped playing ball in 2015, I just went full speed ahead on the mindset stuff and took it into what we now call thought leadership, which is writing books, speaking, you know, coaching, consulting, 
podcasting, things like that. And now today, I run my company. It is called Work On Your Game, if you couldn't guess. And it's all about taking the mental tools to help athletes get to the top 1% in sports and leveraging those same tools at work and in everyday life. So serving entrepreneurs, professionals, of course, athletes, anybody who really just wants to maximize their max, max out on their potential and make sure that they're making the most of their opportunities. So that is my backstory. And I think I, that was five minutes. might have been longer. That was no, it's pretty good. That was pretty concise and succinct, and yeah. I, I, it was a good story because it tees up exactly how you got to where you are today. And you know, even looking mm. at you now, like just like looking at your bio, um, mm. I see so many reasons why somebody who has been a high performance athlete would have so many lessons to teach somebody who is trying to build a business or what. But it's it's something that. You know, sometimes you follow like the the football coaches or whatever, and you get like you know the business tips from them. But I don't see people that actively pivot an entire career and then and understand how the lessons they've learned operating at such a high level can be so applicable to an entrepreneur or somebody starting out from the ground up. And I think that's what's it's it's incredible how your story evolved and like all these different inflection points in your story just led to you being able to have the experience and the platform. Cause that's also very important to be able to do this. So mm. as you, so as you pivoted from pro ball and then you started like down the thought leadership pathway, um, walk me through some of the things that you realized were applicable for a high performing professional athlete that are also mm. applicable to an entrepreneur, because that's what you speak about. And, and that's what you do. TED Talks on, that's what you write books about. I think that's also right. a lot of your content on Instagram and whatnot. A lot of these mm. these certain mindset things, and not just mindset, but actual application of certain things can be super applicable to entrepreneurs. So what are those things that you discovered? Sure. So really, it, it kind of went back to what the athletes were asking me, because really, it, the foundation of it was me just answering questions to the athletes. And they would just say, well, you know, why come to the gym every day and practice? Why come to the gym every day and work out and then put these videos out? And honestly, Scott, I thought it was a normal thing. I thought that's what every athlete did because I'm figuring, all right, I play basketball. I want to play pro or I'm already playing pro. Or I need to get ready for my next job opportunity. I should just go to the gym every day, practice so that my game is sharp. So when that call comes in, I'm ready to go. I thought that's mm -hmm. what any athlete would do. But what I realized very quickly was that not every athlete did this because when I showed myself doing it, people were looking at it like they couldn't, they were surprised. And I'm like, isn't this what every, anybody would do? You have a job, you show up ready for your job or at least ready for the job that you want. You prepare for the job that you want before you even have the job. I thought that was normal behavior, a normal mindset. So that was where the discipline came from, showing up every single day to do the work. So that was the number one principle. And it's still to this day, that is the foundational point, I think, for any professional in anything. Because if you look up the, the dictionary definition of a professional is a person who gets paid to do something as their main occupation. But my definition of a professional is a person who shows up every day and delivers regardless of how they feel. Because some days we're sick, sometimes you're tired, sometimes you don't feel like turning the mic on, you don't feel like writing another page for your book, you don't feel like being in the gym, but you're getting paid for it, it's your job, you gotta show up and do the work. It's just like you think of your favorite, who's your favorite athlete, Scott? Oof, who's my favorite athlete? Um, let's take it back, like like Muhammad Ali, like someone like like okay, throwback, perfect. like uh, like he, he, yeah, go for it, go for it, let's go for a boxer. Right, Muhammad Ali. 
Now, yeah. I'm sure now during in the, the matches that everybody was watching, Muhammad Ali was all keyed up and ready to go as many because boxing is not like you're boxing you know, 80 times a year or 160 games a year like baseball. But I'm sure there were days Muhammad Ali did not feel like training. You know, boxers do road work and they run the miles and they, they got to hit the bag and they got to do the jump rope. I'm pretty sure, and Scott, you can tell me if you disagree, there were days Muhammad Ali did not feel like training. But he understood, <laughs> right, because of his position and because of the next person he was fighting and because fighting him was like the grand prize of anybody's career, he knew he had to show up and do that training so that he would be ready to deliver every time so that, you know, somebody couldn't make a, they couldn't make their whole career based off of beating him. You know, so he had to be ready to show up every day. Or you think of a, a LeBron James. Does he feel like playing every single time, 82 times a year, knowing that he's getting the best shot of every player he plays against? Because every player wants to be able to say, hey, I dunked on LeBron James, or I stole the ball from LeBron, or I scored on LeBron twice in one game 12 years ago. You know, everybody's trying to get their highlight off of him. So he has to be that mentally on point every single day. And that's much more of a mental decision than it is a physical skill. And a lot of people don't really understand that until they constantly think about it. So that first principle is discipline. Uh, the next one. I was going to say, I, I was going to say just one thing. No, I just wanted to point yeah. out something. The only I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate 
on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text 
success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. The reason why I picked Muhammad Ali is because um, I love I love boxing as a solo sport, and I find that, mm-hmm. and maybe just comment on this if you think there's something to it, like, do you think there's a certain mental toughness that can be pulled from a solo sport versus a team sport? Not to say, obviously, like, mm-hmm. at, a, at a team level, like, mental fortitude and and the psychology to show up every day is not important because it obviously is but like there's no team holding you accountable when you're when you're on your own that's i thought it was i thought that was something that's super impressive when i look at boxers it's probably some of the most notorious like solo sport you're just showing up on your own with your coach absolutely and no it's funny because since i i stopped playing ball in 2015 a lot of people always ask me dre do you play pickup you play in the leagues or anything i played zero basketball cold turkey because to me, I'm always in a mentality. If I can't be at my best or whatever my best potential is at that moment, I don't want to play at all. Because I don't want to be like the old guy with some young guy who isn't half of what I was at his age, you no know, beating me just because I'm not in shape anymore. So I don't play ball at all. But I do. I have a boxing trainer. As a matter of fact, I had a boxing workout this morning. And you're 100% correct. Because in a solo sport, not only do you not have a teammate holding you accountable, also in the matches, in the games, the performances, it's just you out there. Uh, You can't pass the ball to somebody else. Like in basketball, if I'm not making my shots that night, I can pass to one of my teammates. If he's making all the shots, we can still win the game. But in boxing or tennis, if my serve is off or something's wrong with my ankle and I'm not moving the right way, I can't hide. I can't pass the ball to anybody and still win the game. You're going to take that loss and everybody sees you. So... Absolutely. In a solo sport, it's a completely different approach because you have to you kind of have to be your own accountability, even though no boxers have trainers and no tennis players have whatever swimmers, any solo sport. They have trainers and coaches. Exactly. But in the performance, there's no one to pass it off to during that performance. And when you lose, you can't point at anybody. And when you win, all the glory goes to you. So 100 percent agree. Anyways, keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. So that was interesting because that's that's sort of like the, you know, I always equate sports to startup and like as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. like you don't have a team day one. <laughs> you're right. you're a hundred percent solo day one. Yeah, right. So discipline is the first principle that the work on your game is based on. The second one is confidence, and this is the one that usually, if someone comes to me and they're asking for anything mindset wise, usually they're asking for confidence. If they don't know anything about me, they're usually saying, Dre, I want to be more confident. I want to have more self-esteem. I want to believe in myself more. And why is that? If you ask somebody why do they want more confidence, they'll usually say something like, I'll perform at a higher level. I'll be more consistent. I'll have more. I'll be better able to sell my products, start up conversations with people, you know, close people on my products and offerings, whatever it is. Everybody wants confidence. What many people don't understand is that discipline creates confidence. The number one, number one main source of confidence is discipline. Because if you think about it, Scott, the most confident people you know are usually very disciplined individuals. And very disciplined people are usually very confident. And why is that? Is because those disciplined people, because they're showing up and they're doing the work and they know that they are following their, their principles on a day-to-day basis, they have earned the right to be confident. So confidence is defined as your your belief in your ability to do something. So where do you get that belief from, from actually doing it? Now, if you haven't done the thing before, let's say you practiced a lot, let's say as a boxer or a business person, you're trying to sell something, you've done all the practice, you listen to all the tapes, you're ready, but you haven't done the actual performance yet. Where do you get that confidence from? Now, some people had this concept of faking it until you make it, but I actually don't believe in that concept. I don't believe in fake it until you make it. I think it's a a misnomer, oxymoron, 
The reason is because the subconscious mind, again, doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality, but at the same time, it takes everything literally. So when you tell yourself that you're faking it till you make it, it's kind of like Cinderella. You know, Cinderella, she puts on that glass slipper. She has on this beautiful ball gown, but at some point that clock strikes midnight and she goes back to wearing the rags. And that's what happens to people when they fake it till they make it is that eventually you're going to tell yourself to stop faking it. And all that confidence that you had, you go back from the, the beautiful ball gown to the rags. So what I suggest that people do instead is become it because you don't have to fake it. You can just become that person. And I give an example. One of my TED talks, I talked about this, a basketball player. He was in practice and a coach told him that day, I want you to pretend to be the best player on the team. And this guy was, this player that he was talking to was marginal player, maybe the 10th best player on the 12 person roster. But that day when he's pretending to be the best player on the team, he's doing all kinds of crazy moves. He's making all kinds of miraculous shots that he never does. And all his teammates are looking at him crazy. Like, where is this coming from? We didn't know you had this ability. And what he had done is he had stepped into uh, this principle that I call the super you, which is you still being yourself, not faking it, but is you at your highest possible level of confidence. And what you do in that moment is you borrow that confidence from another person. So to give an example, you take a, let's say somebody who's a boxer and they are them, whoever they are. Now, before they go into that match, they're looking for that confidence. I would tell them, listen, I want you to think about somebody like Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson or Floyd Mayweather or whoever your favorite boxer is. And I don't want you to try to be them in the ring because you don't have their same wiring or skill set. But I want you to look at, think about their mentality. Think about how they would walk into the ring. Think about how they would approach the fight. How would they feel about themselves going into the ring? How would their confidence be? How would they, how would they picture their performance leading up to the game? For a basketball player, I say picture a Michael Jordan or a Kobe or a Steph Curry. What is their confidence? How do they feel about themselves? How do they look at themselves in the mirror before the game? And I want you to think about yourself the same way they would think about themselves. So you're basically mirroring their mentality, not necessarily their actions. And that way you can step into a level of confidence that maybe that person has never had before. Because as humans, we have these things called mirror neurons. It's like you can watch somebody else do something and just by watching them do it, you have a better understanding of how to do it, even though you haven't done it before. And that works for confidence. It works for you know, hammering in a nail. It works for repairing a car. It works for anything. But people have to understand the principles behind it and understand that you're not trying to be somebody else. You're still being yourself. You don't want to be faking it because eventually, like I said, faking it is going to end. You don't want to tell your brain that you're pretending to be anything. So the second principle is confidence. So, And just uh, I want to ask one question on that one. Um, say you – I understand the concept and you – put your mind in the space of somebody who has that experience and has done it a lot. So now you have right. that confidence, you're becoming it. How do you make sure that when something doesn't go according to plan that you can maintain that confidence? How do you not break this perception? Because I feel like it would be human nature. The second I'm going for a shot that I've never made before and I don't mm -hmm. make it all of a sudden I get in my own head. And I right. just realized that I tried to do this thing to become this person and it worked for 90% of the time. But then that one time that didn't work, I'm like, shit, I'm not that person. <laughs> I completely screwed that up because you haven't, you're yes. not that person. So how do you, how do you keep, how do you keep that mindset? Right? Great question. So this is, that's part of your training. That's part of the mental training ahead of the performance. Because if you think about it, every professional prepares for the situation before the situation and amateurs get into the situation, then they try to prepare while they're in it. So part of your training is to be ready for that situation. And this is why every athlete has a coach. 
Every athlete has a trainer. Every athlete goes through a lot of practice before they get to play in the game. You don't practice, you don't play. But in the professional world, outside of sports, we have a lot of people out here kind of freelancing. And not in a, like as a freelancer, but freelancing, meaning they're not preparing and training for the situation before they get into it. So an athlete, if I'm training a basketball player or a boxer, for example, I'm getting them ready for the fact that they're going to miss a shot, that they're going to try a move and somebody's going to steal the ball from them, and they're going to try to dunk and they're going to miss the dunk, or they're going to get their shot blocked, they're going to get crossed over and scored on two times in a row by somebody else who's better than them. And they have to be mentally prepared for that so that when that situation occurs, they know how to deal with it. I'll give you an example. Uh, did you see the, the Tiger Woods documentary? I think it was on HBO. Max, did you see that? I think I, th- I think so. I can't remember now, though. <laughs> was it, okay. was it a while ago? I think, I think I have, yeah, but I just uh, don't remember. I don't remember specifically. I think maybe a year or two ago it came out, but I just watched it probably this year. Yeah. But in that docuseries, you see when Tiger was coming up as a golfer because his dad taught him how to golf, yeah. right? So when yeah, he's yeah. 14, 15 years old, he would be out on a – on the links golfing and his dad would be with him and his dad would do stuff to distract him. When Tiger was lining up a putt, his dad would walk through his line before he put it. Or when he was just about, he was in his backswing, his dad would cough or laugh or make some noise to try to distract him. And the whole point was teaching Tiger, like, look, these kind of things might happen in a real match and you have to not come unglued, not be, become unwired and you got to deal with it and be mentally tough enough to deal with that situation. Cause he saw Tiger had the talent. He had the physical ability, but it's the mental ability that unlocks the physical ability. So it's making sure that you're doing the preparation ahead of time and not preparing for everything to be perfect, but preparing for the fact that things will go wrong and they're going to go off course. Are you mentally, uh, do you have a mental dexterity to deal with that situation on the fly when it happens? Because it's going to happen. Good, good. No, that makes sense. So that's, that's part of the, so that is part of the prep. So when, even if you're right. going into, even if you're going into a situation where you are becoming something, uh, so that you have that me- that mindset, you can still be doing the prep ahead of time so that you're, you're Absolutely. aware that when things don't go hundred percent to plan. Um, and this is actually, you know, this is something that I don't think you have to do for a specific event, right? Like, it's not like mm-hmm. this is a mindset that you can carry with you through the next job you're going into the next interview you're going into the next startup you want to take on it can it can be a mindset that even if even if you're casually just taking up like a a sport and you want to you want to play a sport and you're you know you haven't played in a few years like this is a mindset just just preps you for things not going right that's right So you take it everywhere right it's just like you just have to know that's how you have to think exactly and just understanding that life is not always going to go in your favor exactly as you want it and the way that i describe it to people is uh, playing a road game it's like playing a game on the road in sports because in a let's say a sport like football or basketball no team wins the championship without winning some games on the road uh, you have to be able to go into a a hostile environment where things are not set up in your favor people don't want you to win and they are not going to move out of your way and you have to figure out how to win anyway and you no know, it's funny i was just listening to uh, a zig ziglar secrets of closing the sale tape and I I listen to that tape all so many times but one of the things that he talks about is that you got to be able to close the close ones because as a salesperson you're going to have some gimmies you're going to have some customers who come in as they say sometimes with their credit card on their forehead Uh, you're going that's an easy sale but you can't build the whole sales career just on easy sales you're going to have some of those close sales where it could go either way and if you don't close enough of those close ones the road games then you can't build a career in sales so it's understanding that there are going to be some situations that could be you might win, you might lose. you got to win enough of those 
to get by, and then the, the easy ones will be the easy ones. Then it's going to be something that you're not going to win no matter what, but you got to win enough for those 50-50 games. It's the same thing yeah. in sports. It's the same thing in business. It's in sales. It's in everything in life. Smart, smart. Okay. Um, what, okay, so after – this is confidence, but yes. um, I think it sort of dovetails into the next point as well. Yes, So the next point so. – yeah, so so walk me yeah. through that. Walk me through that, and, and how does that obviously actually go for it? Then I have a question. I follow up after, but go for it first. Sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. So we got the discipline in place. You're showing up every day, doing the work, confidence, yeah. putting yourself out there boldly and authentically. The third principle is mental toughness. Now, mental toughness is your willingness and ability to continue being disciplined and confident despite the fact that following the program, following the rules your discipline and your confidence have not yet produced the desired results. So this is right what, we, what you just asked about, that just because you followed everything perfectly, I mean, if you ever signed up with a coach or you signed up for a course or you're following some, somebody has a 10-step process to produce outcome X, Y, Z, and you followed exactly what they said, did exactly what they told you to do, and you did not get the desired result, uh, the mental toughness is do you look at it and say, all right, let me figure this out. Let me figure out what's missing here. How do I fix this? How can I go about this a different way? Or you just throw your hands up, give up, and quit. And while it sounds so trite and it sounds so common sense, maybe to many of the listeners, people who listen to a show like this, you probably wouldn't even think of even needing to make that choice. But there are so many people out there who, when things don't go the way that they expected or they don't go according to plan or you know, when real life alters that lab test, they just give up. They just, they just don't keep showing up. And persistence is one of the number one traits of successful people is that they're just willing to persist. They don't quit when things don't go their way. They just regroup and they figure out a way, how can I go at this problem a different way to make it work out? And anybody who works in startups, I mean, this is your whole business, right? This is the, the entire thing is being persistent, even though it didn't work exactly how you thought it would. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, as a leader, you're always on the lookout for more ways to arm yourself with knowledge. The books, the seminars, and most importantly, the podcast that help you make the best possible decision for you, your company, your customers. Because when you know more, you can apply more and you can grow. With HubSpot CRM platform, you can store, track, manage, and report on all the tasks and activities that make up your relationships with customers. With a bird's eye view over all your customer interactions, HubSpot empowers your decision making like never before. So you can give your business and your customers all the good you've got. Learn how to make your business grow better at HubSpot.com. Do you have and and you, you make a point that I'm sure the people listen to a, a business or a, you know, a, an, an upskilling focused podcast where you're trying to learn how to be better and do better. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure they do have a level of mental toughness that maybe the average person doesn't. But even then, like when when stuff doesn't work out, like it's it's hard. Like it's just really it's really hard. Like there's no way around it. So that's um, somebody that teaches us for a living, do you have mm -hmm. tips on how to condition yourself so that when things don't work out and it's easy to pivot and and you have to pivot, maybe you have some sort of uh, kind of like what you said before, like you you know you're preparing for things to not go right. What is an mm -hmm. exercise that you could do so that you can prepare for things to not go right? Because if you can prepare for things to not go right, you can pivot quickly. You can go into something new much quicker. You're not letting yourself get in your own way and slowing yourself down because of like what you, what's in your head. So how do mm -hmm. you condition yourself for mental toughness is the question. 
Great question. Well, in my book, Work On Your Game, as you can see over my shoulder right there, the first chapter of that book is called Mental Conditioning. That's the very first chapter of the book. And you think about conditioning. If anybody, if you ever play a sport that involves running, like basketball, baseball, football, one of the things that we do at the beginning of every season, training camp, is we do conditioning workouts. And what is a conditioning workout? It's just a whole lot of things that are designed to get you physically fatigued. And the whole point of that is not so that what many people incorrectly think, they think being well physically conditioned means that you never get tired. Now, trust me, I still, I still run you no know, probably a 10 K three times a week here in Miami where I live. Every time I run, I feel fatigue, even though I'm in great shape. I feel fatigue every single time, even though I'm in physical condition. What conditioning means is not that things are not going to happen. It's just a matter of, how much time do you need to recover before you can get right back at it? So when you're well conditioned physically as a basketball player, for example, if you go sprint up and down the court 10 times in a row, even LeBron's going to get tired. Kobe will get tired. Steph Curry will get tired. It's just a matter of Steph Curry might only need 30 seconds of breathing time before he can run full speed all over again. Whereas somebody who's not conditioned, they might need 30 minutes or 30 days before they can run full speed ever again. So that's what conditioning is about. It's about shortening the amount of time you need to deal with the setbacks and the challenges when they inevitably happen. So how do you get ready for that is it goes right back to the preparation and being ready ahead of time of what's going to happen and anticipating the fact that there may be challenges and that's what you work into your strategy. Because going back to boxing, an analogy from boxing is, is not the hard punch that knocks you out. It's the punch that you didn't see coming. Uh, You see somebody get knocked out in boxing. It's not because they got hit so hard. It's because they didn't know it was coming and surprised them. That's when they get knocked out. And it's the same thing in life is that if you anticipate that there will be a challenge, then you're, you can much better deal with the challenge because you knew it was coming. doesn't make it any easier, but it feels easier and you can make it look easier simply because you got ready for it. And actually my newest book called the third day is all about that. It's conditioning yourself to deal with the challenging days. That third day is that challenging day, right? You got the startup, you're going, everybody's excited for you. You're excited. You got all this initial attention coming into you. You're selling your product. It feels good. But then that newness wears off. The novelty is gone. And now it's just you by yourself. And they, everybody has moved on to the new guy who has something new to came out newer than yours. Now, what do you do? And it's at that point right there that a lot of startups, and you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, Scott, a lot of startups don't make it past that point because that's where... They definitely don't. They right. Definitely that's where don't. the newness has worn off. They burn out. Exactly. Yeah. Now you got to grind through that part. That third day is what I call it. You got to grind your way through that. And it, those who grind through it, then they might get to the point where they can see the light of day. But a lot of people and a lot of businesses and a lot of situations just don't make it through that point. So that grind right there... That's what makes the professional is dealing with that grind. It is not the talent. It is not the opportunity It's damn sure not the resources. It's the mental toughness to grind through that tough part that is going to come to everybody. Um, Just on that point. uh, Mm -hmm. So actually when, when people are building something and this is something that I Mm -hmm. I see often, um, they focus on building and they all in theory love what you just said and it all makes sense. And nobody would argue these are all important things, but then you get stuck in the day to day, you get stuck in the doing and, and you have to execute on things and life is busy. So what do you say to somebody who knows that this is like focusing on your mindset, getting your mind right? They know it's important, but they just never, quote unquote, like find the time to invest in 
building themselves so that they can help themselves in the future when they actually need some of the things that you're speaking about. How do you how do you get that person on board? Or is that not the person that you focus on? Do you focus on people that are already trying to help themselves? Well, it's a combination of both because the people who are the people who understand the value of that are the kind of people who come find somebody like me because they understand the value of it. And they're like, like, I know I need to make this investment because I know these challenges are going to come up or I'm already dealing with these challenges. Now, on the other hand, the people who are not aware or they're not consciously thinking about it, they one of two things is going to happen. Either they will they can hear the message from like this conversation right here. They might be listening to this and saying, okay, you know what? That actually makes sense. Let me go read a book. Let me go listen to some more of Scott's stuff. Let me go see more of what Dre is talking about. And then maybe they'll, they will convince themselves because we can't convince them. They got to choose themselves to get more into this. Or the other thing that's going to happen is they're going to get their butt kicked by life, by business, by the industry, by situation. And then they'll realize, oh, okay, this is what they were talking about. Okay, let me make sure this doesn't happen again. But one of two things has to happen. But there's nothing that I can say or that you can say that is more valuable than what they say to themselves. And that's either life kicking their butt and then they say it or they get the idea ahead of time. So one of, it's going to happen one way or the other. Um, and that sort of dovetails into the last point. And that's what I was trying to figure out, like personal initiative, um, holding yourself mm -hmm. accountable and just being, uh, you know, self-aware of what, what you're good at, what you're capable of, and maybe some of the things that you need to work on. Um, what is personal initiative? Uh, how does it fit into this framework of discipline, confidence, mm. mental toughness? Is it just like what you just mentioned? Is it being self-aware of the fact that you have to go and work on these things, read a book, uh, focus on getting your mind right before you start building something? Or is it... Uh, is it holding yourself accountable once you're already down a path of building something? What's, what does like, your version of personal, personal initiative mean? Well, both of those are part of it. And the way I describe personal initiative is being that go-getter, a person who goes and makes things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. So you, in the line of work that you're in, Scott, this is exactly, this should fit you to a T. And what being that go-getter means it's understanding that the three things we talked about so far are all mindsets, discipline, confidence, mental yeah. toughness. That's a way of thinking that you could do all of that by sitting in your seat and never doing anything. You could read about it all day and watch YouTube and listen to podcasts and all of that stuff. But personal initiative is taking that potential energy and turning it into kinetic energy, energy in motion, going and actually doing something. Because these days with, I mean, how many people have a podcast? How many people write books? How many people are making <laughs> YouTube videos? Right. Everybody, literally everybody is doing that. Yeah. So the thing is, many of us these days can get into what we call analysis by paralysis, right? Or paralysis by analysis that we're just taking in all this information and we're thinking about this and that. And there's all this new stuff that we can get. And we don't feel like we know enough to take action yet. And you know, we don't want to make cold calls. We don't want to put our product out there because it's not quite ready. And the problem is by the time you figure out what to do, the opportunity is gone. The options are gone and your vitality is gone. So the important thing for me, and this is something that I tell people all the time, I call it the 10% rule of information and action. So you only need 10% of the information to get started. To take action, you only need 10% of the information. Then along the way, you will learn more. And I guarantee you, you're probably not gonna get the perfect result with only 10% of the information. However, you make yourself eligible to get to the perfect result because you got started, because you moved, because you put yourself out there now you can get some feedback from the universe. You can get what I call activity knowledge and you can figure out how does this stuff actually apply that Dre and Scott 
are talking about here. Let me see how this applies to me, how it applies to my life and my particular situation. So if you're sitting around waiting to get all, quote unquote, of the information, well, first of all, that's impossible because information is being created at a faster pace than any of us can take it in. So you can never get all the information. And whatever is information right now today, two weeks from now is not going to be information anymore. Something has changed. So you have to be willing to move without knowing everything and actually being comfortable in that, being comfortable in your ignorance, I guess we can call it. Being comfortable in the discomfort, if you even want to call it that, of knowing that things are always changing around you, but trusting that you will be able to change with it. That's what personal initiative is. And ultimately just taking action because then you get like that's that's, right. that's the main takeaway is take action, like get get that momentum going, you get that flywheel of like activity happening and that's that that's gonna propel you to figure stuff out, to to do something new, to to get to the next level. Like it's just all about like at the end of the day, it sounds so like <laughs> common sense isn't common, but it sound it sounds right. so simple. It's like just get your ass started and then right. everything else starts to fall into place. Not easily, but things start to happen. Um right. It's common sense to people like us, but it's not common sense to the average person. No, no, no. Fair, fair. Um, right. If you had, uh, if you had one lesson, because you teach, you teach a lot. If you had like one lesson that you'd want people to take away from all your work, your TED talks, um, all the content you put out, the books you write, what would what would that lesson be? What would the like be the mark that you want to leave on the world? It's a heavy question, but I'm mm-hmm. curious. Hmm. Is that mindset is the foundation of everything. Mindset is the foundation of creating success, is the foundation of winning, is the foundation of taking yourself to another level. Even if you feel like you are already successful, the person that got you to where you are today is not the person that's going to get you where you want to be this time next year. There is something that needs to change about who you are being as a person, not your actions. The actions come after but something needs to change about the way that you think and the way that you see yourself and the way you see your business in order for you to take your business to another level. And when you change how you see yourself and the way you think, the actions will automatically follow. Because if I'm a person who doesn't work out, for example, and I change my mindset to someone who does work out, well, what am I going to do? I need to get a gym membership. I need to give me some sneakers. Yeah. I need to make sure I wake up an hour early so I can go work out before I go to work. The actions will automatically follow the mentality. If you truly believe it about yourself, you will take actions that match what you see. And it is impossible for any human being to consistently act over an extended period of time in a way that is in conflict with the way that they see themselves. So when you change how you see yourself, your actions will automatically follow. So mindset is the foundation that, that's, always. That's a good, I love that quote. That, I love that quote. So if you're, if you like that, that, that brings it back to the start, man. That brings it back to the, you cannot fake it till you make it. That's like right. it's good. You're, you're going to, your, your mind's going to self-correct at some point. It's going to shatter this whole perception you've built for yourself. So right. it's not fake until you make it. It's, it's just getting your mind right. And then executing against that proper mindset. Um, you said it much more eloquently than me, but I'm just trying to paraphrase, <laughs> but can, no, that's you very, can put it in your, you can clip it out. You can clip it out and use it. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a, that's a social clip for sure, man. That was, that was Absolutely. good. Whatever you just said, like, like 60 seconds ago, that was golden. Um, okay. Yeah. I want to, uh, I want to do a couple, uh, rapid fire just to pull out from your career, some insights. Uh, sure. you've done a lot in your career, your, your pro career. Um, obviously all the content you've put out, the books, uh, the Ted talks. Um, but most importantly, before I pivot, uh, where can people connect with you? So what are all the socials, the websites? that you want people to go check out? 
Well, I'm on every social media platform. I'm not on TikTok. I, I have a TikTok account. I don't post there, but I'm everywhere else. The one I'm most active on probably is uh, Instagram. I use Instagram stories all day, every day. So you want to get a really a good inside look and a good feel for my personality, Instagram story. My Instagram is just my name, at Dre Baldwin. Uh, my newest book, The Third Day. I give people a free copy if they just cover the shipping. Can I tell them about that, Scott? Yeah, yeah, do it, man. Do it. And, uh, and give me right. and send me a link so I can put it in the show notes, but for sure. Oh, yeah, sure will. So this is the newest book called Third Day, The Decision that Separates the Pros from the Amateurs. This is one of my – this framework is about discipline. So when we talked about discipline at the beginning of the show, the third day is the framework that I use to explain it. And whenever I give speeches and I talk about the third day, this is the thing that people remember the most. So I went and wrote a whole book just about this. So this is – the biggest, most popular framework within working on your game. And it's all about your ability to show up on a consistent basis and deliver consistently. And that seems to be the thing that people ask me about the most. How can I be more consistent? How can I make sure I'm sticking to my discipline, sticking to my habits, sticking to the things I said that I want to do? That's what the third day is. And the third day is, I'll give a quick metaphor for it. You show up to the gym. Let's say we got a new year coming up. When this comes out, it might already be in a new year. Everybody comes to the gym in January, right? Anybody who goes to the gym, you know, January, you hate going because you got all these people who you know won't be there yes, in two sir. months. Yeah. Everybody's in the gym, right? That's the, that's the first day, metaphorically. It doesn't have to be days. Second day, let's say that's the middle of January. People are still showing up, but it's not new anymore. They're getting there a little bit later, living a, leaving a little bit earlier, not showing up quite as often. The third day is probably, let's say, by Valentine's Day. You got the same people that were there before, right? the same people from last year. Now all the new people left. They, they forgot yeah. their gym membership. And I don't know if people know this. Do you know that 50% of gym revenue is people who never show up to the gym? That is people who have I, memberships I, and I've they're paying for them? I've heard this before. Yeah. Yeah, but it's they don't actually ever show up. how much they make off that. Yeah they, yeah, they make most of their money from people who never come to the gym. And the thing is, if, people, if everybody who had a gym membership regularly used the gym, the gym would not have capacity to service all those people. So they factor this into their business model is that most of the members will never show up. So that's the third day is the newness is gone. The novelty is gone. You realize that this thing that you signed up for, and even if you're paying for it, this is some actual, this is real work. I had to actually do some work here. This startup is real work. All right, having a podcast is actual work. This relationship is real work. All right, this gym is actual work. And that's when you separate the pros from the amateurs. Who is going to show up? That's what this book is about. And I'll give you a copy for free. I forgot to tell you the link. It is thirddaybook.com. And I'll, Scott, you'll have the link. So everybody can just click on it and go yeah, grab your copy. Thirddaybook.com. The book is free. All you're going to do is cover the shipping. And I will physically ship you a copy of that book. Amazing. Thank you, man. Um, okay. So let's go into some rapid fire questions to pull out some last insights from you. Um, biggest challenge that you've overcome in your own personal life or professional life, Ooh. but what was that challenge? How'd you overcome it? The biggest challenge I had to overcome was really just developing the confidence, the confidence as a person, the confidence uh, to talk to just people, to talk to audiences, then as an athlete, and then in the business world. And then some people see me now and they might not think that, but the reason I'm able to teach confidence is because I know what it feels like to be at a zero and I know what it feels like to be at a hundred. So confidence. Okay, good. Um, if you had to choose one person, obviously there has been many, but one person has had a major impact on your life. Who was that person? And what did they teach you? Ooh, I'll have to go with my favorite author, Robert Greene. He wrote the 48 laws of power, 33 strategies of war, the 50th law. And what I learned from him is really just learning to look really introspectively into people, not only other people, but also myself, and think about the psychology behind people's actions. I've always been into that, but when I read his book, he was speaking directly to me, so it got me more into it. So Robert Green. Good, good. 
good. Um, so this is you. You answer two questions with one, but I'll give you. Okay, the next one is is a book or podcast you'd recommend. So I'll pick another, another book or podcast. Another. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Uh, another book I recommend is The Law of Success by Napoleon Hill. Now, most people know Napoleon for Think and Grow Rich, but The Law of Success yeah. was like a it was like a course that he created, and from within The Law of Success, he grabbed Think and Grow Rich. He basically extracted it from The Law of Success. And made Think and Grow Rich, which became the most popular business book of all time. But that book is a, is a super long book, but it is worth the time investment to read it. I mean, read with your eyes and get the audio book. I got the audio book and the physical book. And I have read that book many times. I actually need to read it again. So that one, Law of Success. Just out of curiosity, are you more of an audio book or a, like a physical book person? I used to be very physical books, but then when audiobooks came out and just the demands on my time, I do audiobooks more now. So I'm more audiobook now. Yeah, I am too. I, I was just I was just curious. Um sometimes there's something to be said for like actually sitting down and opening a book, but I found myself doing podcasts or audiobooks at like one point five if I Yeah, can. exactly. I put them on trying, two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good I for you. I don't have the time good, anymore. Okay. I don't have the time like I used to. Um, which is again, it's a good problem to have, right? Right. It's a good problem exactly. to have. Um, okay. If you could tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would it be? Oh, easy question. Invest in yourself, invest in yourself, meaning getting around the right people, uh, invest in reading books, invest in getting information that is not going to be taught to you in school. It's not going to be taught to you by your parents and people who invest in themselves, they grow by multiplication. Whereas people who don't invest, they only grow by addition. So everybody's growing. It's just the people who invest, they, they grow faster. So invest in yourself. And last question, what does success mean to you? Success means being a person who you're proud to look at in the mirror and living the kind of life that you want to live, not what everybody else thinks you want to live or what everybody else wants for you, but what you actually want for yourself. So success really comes down to an honest conversation that you have with yourself, not what anybody else thinks about you. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. 
Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards and it's the same old story, tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, 
drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive, and I bet you we've all been there, and maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 